0: You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
1: This is Pharmacy Crossroads with your host, community pharmacy business veteran, the road trip goth, Bruce Neeland. Community pharmacy is at a crossroads. Pharmacy owners across the country are evolving their pharmacy businesses and making a bigger impact on their communities. Bruce talks with the most innovative community pharmacy owners, pharmacy industry experts, and people who are passionate about the business of pharmacy and its impact on community healthcare. Pharmacy Crossroads is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And now here's our host, Bruce Neeland. Hello and welcome again to Pharmacy Crossroads. This is Bruce Neeland and I get to be your host. Today we're doing something extremely unusual for us. I'm actually sitting in a room face-to-face with my guest and I'm out of the town in Portland, Oregon, where it's a beautiful fall day. Today we're going to be talking about how pharmacists can understand their options and become healthcare providers in addition to being healthcare experts. My guest is Linda Tucker. Linda is a certified health coach. I've blown it already, <laughs> haven't I? She'll tell you in a minute. Uh, a, a nutrition expert and an all around uh, fun person to know who will be sharing with us information that she deals with as a professional. She's a podcaster, she's a a health coach, she deals with clients uh, all across the country and indeed even has some international ones and helps them try to figure out how to live happier, healthier lives. And we'll learn more about her background in just a minute, but Linda, go ahead and tell us the correct (laughs) names for all your titles. And she's coached me on this, but um, I've lost my notes. So forgive me, uh, listeners, but here's Linda. She's a great guest. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you. I I often struggle how to describe myself. I mean, if I'm just at a party, I say I'm a health coach. If people are more curious about that, I can sometimes say I'm a certified holistic health coach. I'm a certified intuitive eating counselor, Um, but really sort of what I do is I help people have Happier, healthier, more peaceful, and loving relationships with food and their bodies.
1: Well, thank you. That is helpful, and we'll learn a little bit more about that as we get started. But um, first of all, it's it's time for full disclosure. Um, I am a proud dad of Linda Tucker. Um, she's my fourth child and my third daughter, and she has pursued this course in um, in healthcare. Um, advisory, coaching, all those words that we use. But she's introduced me, uh, an old guy who's been a mainline medical kind of guy, to a bunch of emerging trends and opportunities and things that have helped me live a better life. Um, that I just feel like too many pharmacies, I, pharmacists I know don't hear about or don't understand. And uh, clearly their patients are dealing with some of these kinds of uh, people like Linda. There's hundreds, thousands, thousands of, yeah. of people doing this kind of consulting, coaching work. And um, she's introduced me to some terms that, um, you know, that uh, I I think would be helpful for every pharmacy to know as they try to better understand their patients and their things they're dealing with. So, uh, you know, Linda, with that, I'm going to ask you to talk about a couple terms that I hear thrown around, like diet culture, body image,
0: intuitive eating, health at every size, What is all this? (laughs) So uh, some of those terms like intuitive eating and health at every size have more clear definitions. Um, But terms like diet culture, body image, um, these things, body positivity, um, even terms like holistic, even terms like integrative nutrition. These are kind of terms that are fairly loosely defined. And I think that can be a good thing because we don't want to get too dogmatic in what it means. But, you know, diet culture is essentially the culture that we all live in. It's the water we're all swimming in and that we've been raised in that has pretty narrow views of what a healthy body is, what a healthy diet looks like. Um, and if you are outside of that kind of narrow view, we kind of pathologize it and call it a problem and, and believe we need to fix it. And, and even kind of on a darker note, we can have sort of a self-righteousness to shame or blame or judge people or bodies. So that's kind of diet culture is sort of this cultural belief. Whether you choose to participate or opt into it or believe it, that is is important but it doesn't change the fact that you're still living in it so i could have certain beliefs about my food or my body but if i go to a doctor or to a pharmacist or go on social media the general consensus is going to be that of diet culture right um body image is just how someone views their own body i've had a lot of training we're talking about the personal your my
1: impression of myself Mm -hmm. not And I guess obviously how I think other people perceive me, but we're not talking about me perceiving you. We're talking about self
0: perception. Right, right. I can have weight. I can have body biases about other people. But my body image is really an individual thing that I have to work on, accept, face, understand about myself. And I probably have just as much training on body image stuff as I do on um intuitive eating and those kinds of things, because it's actually a bigger part of someone's relationship with food and their healthcare practices their self-care practices than maybe I think most mainstream medical or health professionals really understand. Well, and I mean, to that point, I am what
1: the BMI chart calls obese. Mm-hmm. I am um, metabolic syndrome and um, every time I go to my doctor, he tells me I need to lose 20 pounds, and I say, yep, I know, Mm -hmm. and then nothing happens. Why Mm -hmm. is that? (laughs)
0: how much time do you have? (laughs) Well, it's because those things are really complicated. They are not, I mean, you could go into an elementary school and I used to literally go into elementary schools and teach nutrition lessons. And even at a very early elementary level, children understand, eat more vegetables and exercise more. This is not sort of some sort of groundbreaking suggestion. Children, sadly too, also understand that, you know being in a thinner body is better than being in a bigger body. So the the conditioning and sort of the cultural narrative starts really early. The reason why it's hard to do for people is that it's hard to do, right? I don't think we have enough Um, Humility around the the complex nature of someone's relationship with food and their body. And that's where things like intuitive eating and health at every size and weight inclusive, non-diet sort of models, philosophies, professionals can be really helpful because they help fill the gap between what I know or what I want and what I'm actually able to do.
1: Yeah. And and. And uh, and and that's that's an interesting challenge. So I I remember four or five years ago, you gave me a book. I'm sorry, I don't remember the author, but the whole point of the book was diets don't work, which newsflash. Everybody knows that. Um, but the other subtext was, is that trying to get people to go on diets was actually more harmful than being overweight. Can you talk about
0: that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, the whole diets don't work kind of like adage is an interesting one because I think in some ways, everybody knows that in quotes, but in a lot of ways, I think most people don't actually believe it really because the, the big asterisk is most people think that what they are doing is not a diet. OK, so, you know, you could say, OK, calorie counting doesn't quote unquote work, but you could also find a, a bunch of people that have a Fitbit <laughs> or use my Pal that are actively counting calories. So it's a, we are in a little bit of a cognitive dissonance because participation in what I kind of term a diet is huge. So it's sort of like we're talking out of both sides of our mouths where I think people say, yeah, if you force people to just eat broccoli and brown rice, that's not going to work. Or if you force them, you know, kind of biggest loser style to lose X amount of pounds, that's unsustainable. The problem is people think a diet is so far down one spectrum when actually what I find in the research I do and the people I work with is that dieting behaviors and sort of belief systems, what I call diet mentality is so insidious and it's in probably every part of most people's days. And so they think that what they're doing, quote, quote unquote, works until it doesn't. And they get frustrated because they blame themselves of not being able to eat healthy when really, if you took 10 steps back and looked at it, you'd understand that they were on some version of a diet.
1: Let's take a quick break and listen to a message from our sponsor. Hey, Pharmacy Crossroads listeners, this is Bruce Neeland breaking in with a quick shout out to our major sponsor, the Compliant Pharmacy Alliance or better known as CPA. The people, programs and services at CPA are dedicated to the success of independent community pharmacy and their sponsorship of this program is one way they demonstrate that commitment. And I'm proud to share with you one more way they do that. Recently, I was delighted to read a press release from the Community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network, or CPESN, letting the industry know that CPA had just become the first national sponsor of the Flip the Pharmacy initiative. Wow, Pharmacy Crossroads is happy to share this news with you. You can learn more about the Compliant Pharmacy Alliance or CPA at CompliantRx.com. Once again, that's CompliantRx.com. Now back to our program. Well, and again, this is the delicate topic because we're talking to pharmacists who are reasonably well-trained in traditional thinking about food and nutrition. Uh, Many of them are actually practicing and and, uh, involved with nutritional supplements and, and helping people with classes, um, uh, you know, pre-diabetes classes and those types of things. So, I mean, there's going to be some people who don't agree with what you're saying. What, what, what kind do you think is the core message for these uh, pharmacists who are uh, kind of mainstream healthcare practitioners?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's really tricky because I, I think For the most part, everyone's intentions are really good. I don't think most healthcare providers have a malicious intention. I don't think most individuals who are participating in these things have, they're not stupid or or uninformed or naive or vain or any of these things. It's, It's actually, I think in a lot of ways, a really valid attempt to help people have more health energy, you know, potentially help manage chronic diseases. I think the intention most of the time is really good. The the hard reality is oftentimes our good intentions don't necessarily control the impact of these things. And so it's much more about, you know, I often say, I don't know what someone's relationship with food in their body is by looking at what's on their plate. It is a very internal concept construct it really is about are you afraid of what you know eating this food could do or not a food that the um or not eating the food could do it's it's a very To me, the red flag is, is there a lot of fear, shame, or control influencing your decisions around food? And so you could look at a beautiful plate of all the vegetables and all the right things and the good fats. But if that person is eating that out of a place of fear, shame, or control, it's probably not going to be a sustainable long-term solution. And so where I think the challenge, the very valid challenge for healthcare providers is, You have to spend some time with that individual to understand their history, their lifestyle, what's going on internally, because just offering them external things is is helpful to a certain extent until it's not. And I actually work with the people that have sort of hit a dead end after dead end after dead end right and we don't throw out all the information that we have right vegetables are health promoting is something i truly believe in it's just much more complex and nuanced and sort of individualized and and dare i say kind of emotional a little bit alternative out of the, you know, we're talking about emotions. We're talking about trauma. We're talking about things like body image, which I don't think a lot of pharmacists have a lot of training and understanding yeah. or, and to be totally fair, even if they do, I think a lot of clients that are coming into a pharmacy aren't mentally prepared to even talk about that.
1: Well, and 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 that's what, let's talk about that for a second. So uh, first of all, l- Linda asked me to make clear, she is not a licensed practitioner, she's certified, but not licensed. Uh, She's not, uh, you know, she's not able to diagnose or treat or those kinds of things. But she does interact with your patients. Mm -hmm. And, And that's kind of the core message here. So you told me yesterday, anonymously about an example of a lady who you had spent an hour on the phone with. Tell us a little bit about what her problems are and how she got to you, uh, kind of in reference to this at the end of the line. I mean, I
0: I mean, I see the work I do is not replacing anything. It's really about offering an addition. uh, It's a, it's a, an additional resource. So I often say it's, it's either helping fill a gap or add a different layer. So most of the people I work with obviously have a health, a primary healthcare provider, either somebody they see regularly or see when needed. Many of them also have therapists or have seen dietitians. Many of them have seen, um, have gone to specific, you know, health clinics or seen specific dietitians or done diabetes training. I mean, these people are most of the time, very well informed and they have many resources. And part of the reason they reach out to me is that they've gotten frustrated that they're not getting what they need at those places. And so this client in particular, I've been working with her off and on for probably three or four years. Um, and, Again, she has the ability and has seen doctors. She's been on medication. She's done supplements. Some of them she's still on or taking, but she just feels like she needs the one-on-one person to person. I often, sometimes when I don't call myself a coach, I call myself like a peer-to-peer support coach specialist, right? They need somebody else helping validate them, helping them navigate, helping them take this information. You know, I spent an hour with her on the phone yesterday, where we were talking a lot about, um, you know, she has diabetes and she has non-alcoholic fatty liver. She also struggles with a couple kind of chronic things like migraines and insomnia. And so she wants support with those things. And because I am not able to diagnose or treat or say, do this, this, and this, Um, I am simply there to help make sense of all of this and figure out like, what works for you? Have you tried health uh, dietary interventions in the past? What felt good? What didn't feel good? Because a lot of times people will will go kind of gung-ho all in. And then because that burns hot and fast, it's not sustainable. And then they feel like they're kind of back where they started or potentially even worse off than where they started.
1: So, I mean, a thought crosses my mind there. Um, we started out in the beginning with this thing about diets are sometimes more harmful than they are helpful mm-hmm. because of the yo-yo thing. Right. Uh, talk a little bit about talk a little bit about how that is a is something that pharmacists need to be aware of what happens to people when they go off the wagon
0: well i mean so a lot of the work i do is specifically around intuitive eating because people often say okay i've heard diets don't work i didn't necessarily believe it i tried it for myself i've been trying it for myself for 20 30 years sometimes right um And now I'm sort of at a loss. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to believe. I don't know how to eat in a way that feels good for me. And so that's where something like intuitive eating comes in. And and one of intuitive eating sort of philosophies and goals is to really help stop the pendulum swing of what we call the restrict binge cycle, right? And the restriction part is hard because a lot of times people don't feel like they're restricting, you know, something like a Weight Watchers or a new or, you know, they're like, well, no, you can eat anything. But the evidence bears out that there is definitely a restrict binge cycle, um, especially with people with diabetes, because there is such a strong motivation to really limit certain foods. And for whatever reason, for all the complicated reasons that make humans humans, if they're doing it with a little bit of a white knuckle energy, they often, quote unquote, fall off the wagon and eat in a way that feels even scarier than. And how they were eating before they went on this dietary protocol. So, you know, the harms that can come from it are increased um, uh, statistical like um chances of people developing eating disorders, clinical eating disorders, things like binge eating, things like gastrointestinal troubles, things like instable blood sugar. Um, the evidence to, that intuitive eating has been able to show over the course of like the past 15, 20 years is that when people have this sort of non-dogmatic, non-restrictive, more sort of rational, um, my favorite definition of intuitive eating is it's like the interplay between our biology, our emotions and our rational thinking, and then also adding in like people's specific lifestyle needs. Right. So if if people can find a way to eat, that's incorporating all of those things, their blood pressure, their cholesterol, their anxiety, their depression, their body image, like all these things, stress, sleep, all these things that we know impact people's health tend to kind of balance out a lot more than just a, very strict you know, Mediterranean dietary protocol.
1: This is fascinating. And thank you. And it, it's great to get to know my daughter on a professional level. Uh, so that's fun for me. So pharmacists run businesses. Uh, they dispense medications. They sell vitamins. Um Or is what you're talking about a threat to their business model? Or is there an opportunity with what you're talking about that you see for a for a pharmacist?
0: I think it's there's an opportunity. I mean, the people that are coming into their pharmacies eat food and have bodies. And so (laughs) almost (laughs) almost all of them, we would hope. So, I mean, they this I remember when I was first being trained in this work and I would go to some more just sort of like textbook kind of, you know, conventional business. I run a business, right? I don't run a a volunteer organization. We're going to talk
1: about that in a minute. So she charges for this. I charge
0: money. And so when I was getting more business training, they would very much kind of push this idea of like niching down, right? Like finding kind of your perfect client and getting more narrow. And while I think that has its place and there's some truth to that, for me, what I found is, I work with people who eat food and have bodies. And so if you eat food and have a body, I believe I could have the abilities to support you and offer you space and resources. And so I would say the same thing to pharmacists. So it could be anything from, you know, a big part I talk about with food is adding in instead of taking out or sort of getting really dogmatic and sort of like, tied to a list add things in you know so like you mean when i'm eating pumpkin pie i add in whipped cream yes actually that would be great okay i mean facetious but that's okay (laughs) no i mean that fat will keep you satisfied it'll make the experience more pleasurable yeah i always say if you're going to have a brownie slab a thing of peanut butter on it well
1: and and I, (laughs) i i made you digress but you were in this motion of what a pharmacist could add into his practice yeah
0: so it's like you don't have to totally upend your practice or your business, just start adding things in, add in books about intuitive eating and health at every size and non-diet approaches and things about body image. And, you know, put those on your bookshelf, have health coaching. I mean, you know, everybody's models are different, but having, um, you know, a bulletin board where you can advertise things like local health coaches or websites, or if you know somebody, a patient that's coming in is using medication for diabetes, have an offering of some really great non-diet, like weight inclusive diabetes management websites, just add, and then there's things even just beyond that, which are like adding in, you know, uh, chairs and making your business more accessible to people in all different body sizes and and understanding that um offering food suggestions is a very serious thing. So I also tell people that I'm like you can talk about dietary interventions, but use them with the same respect that you would talk about a medication, right? There are side effects, there are people that need to be aware if they're you know so take it seriously, but just you know understand that this is a a population of people that are out there that are hearing about intuitive eating are hearing about health at every size are reading the evidence on their phones, seeing the things on their local news stations about it. They they're aware
1: Facebook pages and people talking about it. And which which is kind of the point why I've invited you here is because this, this is the type of thing that has a huge groundswell, that's not in the mainstream media, if I can use that word. So, uh, it, it lots of people are uh, blogging on it. They're uh, talking about it on their Facebook pages or whatever it may be. And and you know, if it weren't for you, it, it would be invisible to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and my supposition is, is that may be true with too many pharmacists. So, you make money doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, Tell us just a little bit about that. I'm not going to ask how much you make, <laughs> but tell us just a little bit about that. But then segue into what you think a business model might look like for a pharmacist who was going to want to try to get broadened his approach to uh, health care
0: um, in the manner that you're talking about. What could they do? I mean, I think. They could, I I did some just very brief research before we recorded the podcast of like, what is, you know, I just Googled like pharmacist intuitive eating or pharmacist health at every size. And I was pleasantly surprised to see some articles written in pharmacy times or see some individual websites of people who are pharmacists, who are also offering health coach training. So, I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, you could either in, you could have a business with local health coaches in your community. You could literally get trained to do this work yourself or somebody on their staff because yeah. it's not a licensed healthcare professional. Right, right. And I do everything virtually. So it's not even necessarily like you have to have space in your pharmacy to do it. You could be doing it all virtually, which is huge. Um, and then even things like I, I, people pay to go to an intuitive eating webinar all the time. So it's maybe not like that one-on-one, but it's a way or, you know, books, you know, there's a lot of people I know that are either regular RDs, regular therapists, regular medical doctors that are making a living specifically operating from this point of view. So they're charging patients. They are writing books. They are offering self-study courses. They are getting paid to speak at events. Yeah, You know, there's a lot of ways that people can monetize this information. I would say anything that you could do as a pharmaci- pharmacist to monetize, um, you could do as within this realm to monetize.
1: So I see pharmacists all the time who tell me that people just won't pay cash for this kind of stuff. Um so you have what one person who's paying you or <laughs>
0: I probably have I don't know right now I probably have right, 20 know- paying clients on my you yeah. know monthly rotation and I've never t- done anything but cash.
1: Okay so people will pay how do you find them?
0: So I mean, I got into health coaching right kind of where the crest of the wave was starting, where health coaching was even becoming like a thing. Right. And so in those early days, social media—it was—I was a very big fish in a very small pond. Okay. Um, since that, thankfully, I think it's a great thing. I'm a very small fish in a big pond. If you go on to Instagram and search a hashtag intuitive eating, you'll probably get millions of hits. Right. It's a very listen big, to that.
1: Uh, folks, millions of hits.
0: Oh yeah, millions. Um, Bootsyke, which is a podcast I really recommend if people want to get a, a intro into the, this vast world, Christy Harrison, who wrote the book anti-diet, which is also fantastic. A great thing to have in your pharmacy to sell. Um, she has a wonderful podcast and it's often in the top 50 of any health podcast. So yeah. it's a very, it's called what again, her, her podcast is called food psych with Christy food Harrison, psych, like P S Y C H. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh her book's called anti-diet. So I was able to glean a lot of people just on social media. I also then got into podcasting Right. and I'm a guest often on people's podcasts. And I love podcasts like this because this is not usually the audience I'm talking to, but they'll hear it and they may reach out to me. Um, and then my favorite way of getting clients is word of mouth referrals.
1: Word of mouth referrals. Mm-hmm. What a novel approach. That's mm-hmm. kind of the backbone of what pharmacists say makes them successful. So you, you treat people well and other people talk about you.
0: Yeah. I provide a service that people need and want and are willing to pay for and struggle to find in other places. So if I, I want this to be a ubiquitous service that is not so niche. I want it to, I want their, I want people to know (laughs) a hundred anti-diet intuitive eating health at every size, uh, practitioners in all walks of life. And again, there are books that they can sell.
1: They can set up coaching sessions. Somebody on their staff could go through the training that you've gone through. And you've been through a couple of credentialed courses Mm -hmm. at any rate. Um, Repeat what the most significant ones are.
0: So, I mean, my certification as an intuitive eating counselor was probably the most helpful for this. But I also did a mentorship with um, a business a coach. So I paid for her mentorship and she now is running Isabel Fox and Duke is running the Institute for Weight Neutral Coaching, which okay. has been really great. Institute for Weight Neutral Coaching. Yeah. Gotcha. Isabel Fox and Duke. I've done body image trainings. I'm a member of the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health which it's uh, called ASDA, A-S-D-A-H. And they are the ones that actually own the trademark of the term health at every size. Okay. So you can get involved with that. But you know, there are ways to monetize this. All of my clients, not all of them, probably the majority of my clients take supplements buy makeup, use essential oils, take medications some combination. So they they need to go to pharmacies. Right. But just like the trend lately has been people wanting to find gyms or yoga studios or doctor's offices that are operating from more of this holistic weight, inclusive, body inclusive, non-diet framework. If you could position yourself as a pharmacist or a pharmacy in that way, you wouldn't necessarily ostracize your existing clientele. And you would actually open up the door to a new stream of clientele. That's really looking. It's the same thing of like people wanting to buy organic food or socially conscious companies, right? The people are looking into this. Like what is your political stance on this, that, or the other. And I would argue within health and wellness, this idea of, size inclusivity, really pushing back against harmful diet culture is something people are looking for in all demographics of life.
1: So we'll close with this opportunity for you to Tell me again why I don't call people obese. Mm.
0: (laughs) Yes. So I'll just give a little peek behind the curtain. When we were going over some of the questions I asked my dad, do you want me to name that I don't love the term obese if you use it on the podcast? And he said, yes, let's make it a teachable moment. So the very short answer is for people in larger bodies, the term obese or even overweight has been used in a stigmatizing pathology. Pathologizing way. It doesn't feel like people are saying it in sort of a neutral clinical way. It feels like it's a, a way to stigmatize certain bodies in a, in a much more um, sort of interesting academic way. It is, it was really coined and is used on the BMI scale right. and the BMI scale. If there is one thing I could, a, a call to action I could give your listeners is research the BMI scale it has been talked about in everything from Time Magazine to The Atlantic. I mean, this is a conversation that is being had about how it is, it is an arbitrary, un-evidence-based, non-evidence-based way to categorize bodies. It was literally created as like a demographic tool by like a Dutch mathematician or statistician in like the 1800s. It was never meant to be a diagnostic tool, never, ever, ever. And it was sort of co-opted by the insurance companies as like, let's just use this as a way to categorize bodies. Um, and so it's just, you know, it's just not a very trauma-informed, it's not a uh, accurate, it's not a um, inclusive, it's Across the board, it's it's not only not kind; it's just it it actually can show as a professional that you aren't up to date on the latest information and science around the really well documented criticisms of the BMI scale. Thank you for that.
1: So, Pharmacy Crossroads <laughs> listeners, uh, uh, for me, this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, I know that it's not mainstream um and so i invite you to do with it as you will the real point is it's happening in the real world people are reading, digesting, curious about, and, um, you know, striving to deal with these issues, and they come to your pharmacy, because as my daughter says, they eat and they have bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, So if this helps you in some way to figure out how to modify your attitude, to modify your offering, to, uh, you know, readjust your store and, and bring in some other things, then it will have been a major success. And so for today, that's it from Pharmacy Crossroads. Thank you again, Linda Tucker, and have a
0: great day. Thank you.
1: Our thanks goes out to the Compliant Pharmacy Alliance Cooperative, or CPA, for sponsoring this episode of Pharmacy Crossroads. Their goal in doing so is to provide pharmacy owners, CPA members or not, with information they can use to be more successful. You can learn more about CPA by visiting their website at www.compliantrx.com. Once again, that is www.compliantRx.com. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Crossroads. If you're interested in talking with Bruce, please contact the show. Visit PharmacyCrossroads.com. We look forward to hearing from you.